So some of you will will know that um, most years we, for some bizarre reason, run a 24-hour round-the-world digital workplace festival. We've done this since 2008, and we did our most recent one at the beginning of October 2020. And one of the things that we're going to do in the coming months is release a few of the interesting interviews that happened during the show. Um, And so today's episode is an interview that I did on DWG24 with Charles Eisenstein, who is, I describe him as an ecological philosopher, but he talks about the story being between stories and a time of transition. So he's not a a practitioner. He's not even a digital workplace expert, but he's somebody who's got real insight into the way work, organizations, communities function. And I think we had a, a really interesting conversation. And I think he provided some real insights around some of the deep lying changes that are happening already were happening pre-COVID and are certainly accelerated by COVID in the way that organisations organise themselves, think of themselves, their relationship to the natural world around them and how you create healthy, sustainable places to work. So now for Charles Eisenstein. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, for this hour, Charles Eisenstein. Um, Charles is a speaker, writer, focusing on themes of human culture and identity. He's author of several books, most recently, Sacred uh, Economics and The More Beautiful World Arts Made Possible. Uh, Actually, his latest book was Climate, A New Story. And he had one of the most popular downloaded, I think, posts around uh, the global pandemic called The Coronation and then The Conspiracy Myth. Um, I came into contact um, in 2016 um, with Charles's work when trying to understand really what's kind of going in the world on in the world around me. And I saw an interview that Charles did with Oprah Winfrey explaining that we found ourselves kind of between stories. And um, Charles and I have had a reasonable amount of interaction since then. And um He's somebody who's really had a big effect on my life. So it's lovely to have you join us today, Charles. And I'm going to start with our icebreaker question for everybody. So if you weren't doing the writing and the speaking and the uh, work you're involved in, uh, what, what's, what might have been an alternative career or uh, way of working for you? Oh, boy. Well, that really depends on, uh, you know, it seems like like there's there were certain moments in life where if there had been a a coincidence in one direction rather than another, I would be doing something totally different. Um, I was just out before our call uh, re- repairing the chicken fence. We have some chickens in our backyard. I got a lot of pleasure out of that. Sometimes, sometimes I, I want to just retire to a little farm and um, or my brother's farm and do something like that. Great. Well, thank you. Um, so uh, uh, the reason why I was really 
keen and delighted that you were coming on today was to to really talk about this idea of moving from an old story of old, uh, of of the earth to a new story and 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 that we find ourselves in that transition and when i first started on trying to understand that idea it was it was pre the world of 2020 and i think we'd had conversations and i i i think i shared with you that i found that the world of work organizations seem to be in a state pre-COVID of, of sort of receptivity or uncertainty that I hadn't experienced in 30 years in a state of what I might call hyperfluidity. So I, I wonder if we are between stories, what do you feel could be the new story uh, for, for organizations? So we've got a lot of large companies tuned into this and large entities. And what's where, where, what's what's their story of of a future that they could be part of? So, if you understand uh, ecology, then you know that each organism is not just there to maximize its self-interest to survive and reproduce, but that every organism contributes something that's necessary for the health of the whole thing which is why if you remove one species from an ecosystem, say you uh, overfish and destroy all the fish or all of the oysters or something like that, then the whole ecosystem becomes a lot weaker because whatever gift that that species had that increased the resiliency and aliveness of the whole thing, that's not there anymore. So if our civilization is to become part of ecology, that has to be true as well, that, that the concept of a company, an organization, or even of ourselves as economic beings can no longer be maximizing rational self-interest, maximizing shareholder value, and so forth. Not that we are uh, totally unselfish and uninterested in our own personal well-being, but that we understand ourselves and our organizations as also here to provide something necessary for the collective, something necessary for humanity, for the planet. And to, when we accept that truth of ecology, which will define any future worth living in, then it kind of changes our um, motivations, it changes our operating strategies, it changes our goals, it changes our visions, and it it resonates with the part of ourselves in our deepest hearts that know that life is not just to survive it as wealthy as possible. Like we all know this. We all want to contribute something. But so often in the corporate environment or in the larger economy, that impulse goes against practicality. And that's why we can talk about, okay, how do we – uh, reinvent organizations so that practicality is no longer at odds with our desire to contribute something beautiful. And how do we change the whole economy and the whole money system so that heart and um, financial interests can come into alignment? Yeah, and, and, and I find there are so many people inside organizations, and, and, and we've written this, this book, The Nature of Work, really and we say explicitly at the beginning, it's aimed at the change makers inside organizations. And I, I think they're, 
really quite numerous, and and they're not just at, at lower levels inside the organization. And and I suppose it's a question of how to support and empower, equip um, people who want to affect change inside their organizations in in a as you said, as part of the ecology of 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 everything that is alive, how how can you know how can somebody? There are lots of people tuned in here who I think will will empathise and understand and and resonate with what you're saying, and and sort of what's what's how can they take the the, the, the right steps? Well, I think that the answer to that would be different for every organisation which is why I speak more in generalities. Unless I were, you know, working closely with an organization and understood their situation, that might might be different. Um, but I could say maybe one general thing is that you have to understand that a contribution to, to life, to beauty and to life, uh, may not be measurable. May not be, you might not be able to encompass that in some metric, and especially the metric of uh, financial return. There has to be some other way to make decisions within an organization besides based on the numbers, which goes contrary to a lot of our training and programming uh, as um, whatever, you know, economists or, or uh uh, organizational managers and so forth. It's, you're, to, to be scientific about it, you're supposed to be rational. You're supposed to be quantitative. But we have to understand that actually there's a lot that our brains, hearts, minds process that is not quantitative. We are not actually digital computers made of wetware. Um, I, I, and in fact, even though in organizations, we often disguise our choices with quantitative justifications. Very often, the, actually, if we're honest with ourselves, the choice is coming from somewhere else. Maybe a good place, maybe a bad place, but then we say, okay, I mean, this, is, this is the best business decision because X, Y, and Z, and look at these numbers and, and this cash flow and this supply chain and so forth. Like, we can... We can clothe our impulses in reasons. But I just remember a friend of mine worked for a Wall Street bank, and he was on the mergers and acquisitions team. And so they were, they were um, brokering some big merger, and his boss said, okay, we need the financial report that confirms that this merger is, you know, worth it at this price and so forth. So, you know, he had to pull an all-nighter, basically. My friend pulled an all-nighter and came up with his big spreadsheet and this big report and he came and turned it to his boss and the boss was like, no, that's not quite it. And he just went in and arbitrarily changed a few numbers. The numbers that could be fudged, you know, some of the intangibles, some of the valuation of the intangibles and stuff. He just changed the numbers in order to make the spreadsheet confirm what was already going to happen. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we do that all the time. And, and so then, just to, to, to try to answer your actual question, um, we have to bring, I don't know how that translates into organizational decision-making, but even to acknowledge that there's something beyond the numbers can be really 
affirming and open creative opportunities. Mm. And I've I've certainly seen, um, particularly this year. I mean, I think one of the words of the year in the world of work is is, is empathy. I mean, I've heard so many um, senior executives talking to me. We've become more empathetic. We've become a more humane organization. We're listening more. We're more attuned to people's personal situations. And I don't hear anybody saying, and by the way, when, when, when you know, there's a vaccine or whatever, we want to revert. This is an experience, mm. as I see it, in an expansion of their own humanity that people actually are enjoying in a myriad of different ways. And I think the probably the, the, the sort of struggle is is how to put an, almost like a different kind of way of, of experiencing relationship inside organization into into the kind of model that's been constructed. I think I've seen some examples with organizations who've been collaborating with their competitors, collaborating across different sectors and saying, you know, this has been really enlivening rather than thinking about, well, who owns the IP on, on this? Um, and, and, you know, in the coronation myth, you said that as, 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 as individuals, and I think we've all experienced it, we, we stood at a kind of crossroads. And I wonder whether organizations would be interested, people please put in the chat panel, you know, is your organization at a crossroads? You know, if we think of an organization as a, as a living system, as a, a, a rather like an individual human being, you know, what are the kind of, you know, do you find yourself at a, a point we had, you know, Finnair and Patrick from Finnair on before, you know, talking about the Finnish airline and, and what their future is. Um, I'm not sure if any of that sparks any, any thoughts in you, Charles. Yeah. When, when, when normal falls apart and the routines and habits and and just general uh, organizational culture. Uh, I mean, this applies to not just organizations; it applies to all aspects of our life. But when these routines are interrupted, then and we're no longer under a compulsion to continue business as normal, business as usual, then we have that moment to say, okay, do we even want to continue down the same path that? we had no choice but to continue down before. Like, we can. Maybe, you know, we, maybe we will have an opportunity, as you say, when, you know, they come out with a vaccine or when they declare that the, the pandemic is over or when people just get fed up with it. Like, maybe at some point we can, okay, we can go back to normal. But, but having been removed from normal, do we want to go back to normal? Or we could ask what aspects of normal do we want to resume and what can we say yeah we're kind of done with that and and now that it because it's not like a year ago the world was working just fine i mean we've had growing crises for for my entire lifetime but we felt at least i don't know speaking for myself at least but I'm sure a lot of people resonate with this, we felt kind of trapped in the system. And then the system now, it breaks down a little bit. And maybe we're no longer trapped, and maybe we can bring consciousness to choices that had been unconscious. Mm. And to make it more practical, um, you know, one of the constraining limitations on organizational behavior is uh, the, the, the marketplace um, the consumer, uh, the shareholders, the regulators, 
um, that whole environment, you know, people who, who blame corporate greed for the world's problems, imagining that if they were a corporate executive, that they would make different choices. Maybe they don't actually understand just how constrained even the leaders of our organizations and of our mm. society are. They don't feel actually, as far as I know from, from knowing many of these people, they don't feel much freer than anybody else in the organization. Someone in, in the lower ranks of the organization, someone who has a boss or a manager, they're like, well, I'm not free because I have, you know, I have to do what my, my boss says. Here's my job description. But they think, and they think that the boss is free too, but the, but the boss's boss is the market or the shareholders or the financial markets, the, the bondholders or, or the, regula- the regulatory environment. So this is, this is a situation where uh, we're all kind of locked into a, a, a future that no one agrees with, but everyone is helpless to not participate in it. And I'm exaggerating, okay? I'm overstating the case, but there's some truth in those words. And now there's a bit of an of a interruption of that that at least gets us thinking, you know, what kind of future do we want? And who am I in co-resonance with that future? And, like, you might experience from, yeah, go, go ahead, Paul. I'm, I'm, no, no, Shimmer, you. I think you wanted yeah. to ask a, a question. Yes, thank you. And uh, I apologize if you've answered this already, but um, I think because Paul and I are so kind of deeply embedded now in this way of thinking in terms of the world of work and thinking about ecology as an analogy for the world of work and for the future that we want to create, for us it feels very natural to have this kind of conversation. I know there are others that Paul and I have spoken to within DWG's community uh, that get it instantly um, and want to be creating that world right now from, from today. <clears throat> and there are others who this feels, I want to say unnatural, but it feels like it, it juts against the way in which they perceive the world and they think about work, um, that it takes a different kind of conversation with them to bring this into this, bring them into this way of thinking. And I was just curious, uh, what your experience has been or how would you go about having a conversation with someone who is deeply entrenched in that world of numbers and the scientific methods um, to bring yeah. them into combining that with this more kind of organic, natural worldview? Uh, I'm not sure if I would try to convince somebody who's really yeah. strongly entrenched in it. I, I would tend to uh, tune in to them, uh, and if there is a part of them that actually is kind of fed up with that or wants something else, then to enter into a conversation with that, with that part of them. It may be so deeply buried that I don't have access to it, under, or maybe only under extraordinary circumstances would I have access to it. Uh, people have a, a work persona that has served them quite well. Uh, it might be the persona of being the hard-headed practical guy who, you know, shoots down any unrealistic proposals and, and, and is driving hard for the bottom line. Like, like that, and if you're good at that and you get rewards for that uh, and identify with that, ordinary work circumstances 
are are incompatible with that other uh, voice coming coming out. So maybe only if you're you know on some kind of retreat somewhere and and you have uh, experiences that are completely foreign to the normal work environment, then people can open up in another way. But then you go back to the work environment and that shuts down again. So this is not like turning on a light switch and all of a sudden you're different. This is an evolutionary process and different people are, are at a different place in that process. So yeah, it's just, it's just really tuning into uh, where someone is and what they're ready for and what opportunities are available for that uh, maybe hidden part to express itself in a safe way that maybe feels audacious, you know, but it doesn't feel like totally so uncomfortable that they won't go there. So it could be about creating uh, opportunities that are maybe a little bit outside the normal course of work. Some side project or something like that might be a good baby step. These habits um, go actually have been under development for centuries, even thousands of years. The whole idea, for example, that work is something that you would rather not be doing, therefore need to be paid to do it and motivated and rewarded to do it. Like that idea is only as recent as agriculture, a few thousand years, uh, and especially the Industrial Revolution, when when routine work, standard toil uh, and labor um, was stripped of any intrinsic satisfaction when you became just like a part in a giant machine. So, so the, and that was the extreme of, and there's still many jobs like that today that are completely unrewarding in their own, on their own merits. Yeah, what, what I was going to say is I think if you look at smaller and often some of the newer organizations and companies, they are charting a new cause. You know, um, and I think, you know, that is a, 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 you know, we can all find examples. I think the way that organizations around the food movement, the local food movement, I mean, you know, we live next door to a, a country pub that during the lockdown provided a community service and, and um, expanded their own, if you like, sense of who they were and their commitment to local producers. They also want to make, you know, a, a, a living for themselves. Um, and, but that's not the only part of their agenda. It's a broader picture. And I think, um, you know, at a smaller scale, it's, it's, it's easier to do that. I mean, we inside DWG are looking at potentially new forms of ownership of the company, you know, in order to express a different kind of structure, a different system of, of work. Um, uh, Charles, just in the last couple of minutes, anything uh, else that you'd just like to um, like, like to add? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say just about this uh, future of work. Um, different financial financial arrangements might be part of it, and, and also though to like conceive uh, like that that time of the industrial revolution is passing, and it's becoming more and more important that every role in an organization have at least some intrinsic uh, meaning uh, or, or satisfaction. Like, you, you know, like, okay, you know, I'm 
the executive, so I'm going to do all the creative stuff, and I'll just hire people to do data input. Like, ultimately, we want to have organizations where nobody has to just do data input, where everybody can, can apply their creativity and grow, grow into, into their, their position. That is, and I was going to say, well, that's what makes an organization sustainable, and ultimately it'll help the bottom line, too. But the motivation actually isn't coming from there. That's a way to pacify the internal bean counter that says, well, you know, it would be a lot more efficient just to have some people specialize in data input. Uh, but on some level, none of us want to make other people live crappy lives and do tedious, unsatisfying work until they retire. You know, we know that a human life isn't for that. And for us to fully resonate with our organizations, it can't have any of that going on. And this is a difficulty. I'm not saying you know, that, that there's a, a magic formula to make that happen. But to, to simply, you know, because we, we do still, we are still embedded in uh, an economy that's not fully post-industrial. So, so, you know, there might be times where, yeah, I guess we have no other choice, but but at least to recognize and validate this impulse to make every role in some way meaningful and and able to accommodate somebody's growth like like let's let's validate that impulse it's much more than just making sure everybody's fairly paid um yeah and th yeah i think to me the word that keeps coming up is community i think we we we, we think of companies we think of organizations as sort of mechanistic systems. They're actually collections of people with a shared purpose. And I think trying to then come back to what is our purpose? Why are we here? What are we designed to do? And how, how therefore, and we, I, I think there is an opportunity to, um, as, as, as we're doing in so many ways, pause and rethink. Thank you so much, Charles. And um, it's been wonderful to have your contributions. Please do stay on for the rest of the hour if you can. And um, okay. lovely to hear you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Happy to share time with you. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking, and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.